Welcome to the reading of the Courier Journal for Saturday, February 25th, 2023, which is brought to our Louisville listeners via Louisville Public Media. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Your reader for today is Katie Wilkerson. And now we turn to our seven day forecast. Today, the high is 55, mostly dry and cool. Tonight, the low is 40, partly cloudy. Sunday, the high is 58, the low is 50, few sprinkles. Monday, the high is 72, the low is 46, showers and storms. Tuesday, the high is 64, the low is 47, partly sunny, mild. Wednesday, the high is 72, the low is 48, shower chance late. Thursday, the high is 62, the low is 39, few showers. And for our local forecast, this weekend will be mostly dry with mix of clouds and sunshine with highs in the mid to upper 50s, warming back to the lower 70s on Monday, but it will be windy with showers and thunderstorms. Next week is looking pretty mild as we head into March with highs in the lower 70s next Wednesday. Occasional rain chances as well for the middle and end of next week. And for our almanac, our high and low yesterday were 45 and 30. The normal high is 51. The normal low is 33. The record high temperature was 81 degrees in 2017. And the record low was 3 degrees in 1914. And for precipitation, 24 hours through 4 p.m. Friday, we've had trace amounts. Month to date, we've had 2.61 inches. Normal month to date, 2.85 inches. Year to date, we've had 7.97 inches. And normal year to date is 6.24 inches. And for snowfall, 24 hours through 4 p.m. Friday, we've had 0 inches. Month to date, we have had trace. Normal month to date is 3.6 inches. Season to date, is 5.9 inches. Normal season to date is 10.7 inches. And our air quality for yesterday as well as today is good. Now for our sun and moon. Today, the moon, excuse me, the sun will rise at 7:21 a.m. and the sun will set at 6:32 p.m. The moon will rise at 10.21 a.m., and we will not see a moon set today. Tomorrow, the moon will rise at 7.20 a.m., and it will set at 6.33 p.m. Excuse me, those were sunrise times. The moon will rise at 10.54 a.m. and set at 7, excuse me, 12.57 a.m. We will experience a first moon on February 27th, a full moon on March 7th, 
a last moon on March 14th, and a new moon on March 21st. And now for weather history. On February 25th, 1934, a storm centered in the Carolinas brought killer tornadoes to Georgia and Alabama while dumping up to nine inches of snow from Richmond, Virginia to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And our first article is on the Kentucky abortion policy, titled Measure Would Add Series of Exceptions by Olivia Croft. A new Republican-sponsored bill would add a series of exceptions to Kentucky's near-total ban on abortion. House Bill 569 from House Majority Whip Representative Jason Neems, a Republican from Louisville, proposes exceptions, including if a doctor believes a pregnancy comes from rape or incest. It's something that I believe in. I think it's the right thing to do, Neem said. I think that's what our citizens want us to do. Kentucky voters shot down a proposed constitutional amendment last fall that would, have, that would have said the state constitution does not guarantee the right to an abortion. Abortion remains illegal in Kentucky after a recent Kentucky Supreme Court ruling said the state's near-complete ban on the procedure can stay in effect as a related legal ordeal continues to play out. Right now, abortions are only allowed in cases of life-threatening health risk. House Speaker David Osborne, a Republican from Prospect, said Thursday, there is still an ongoing discussion about what we can do on abortion, what we should do with relation to the ongoing court issue. Neems's abortion bill would allow abortions in the following situations. First, if a mother's life is threatened, a current exception. Next, if two doctors agree a fetus has an abnormality that would mean it couldn't survive outside the womb. And lastly, if the doctor believes the pregnancy is caused by rape or incest, and it is within the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Outside of HB 569, a few other bills focus on abortion this year. House Bill 300 would allow anyone receiving an illegal abortion to be charged with homicide. House Bill 518 would restore abortion access. Senate Bill 91 would allow for exceptions for rape or incest. Senate Bill 118 would propose another constitutional amendment to say the state constitution does not guarantee a right to an abortion, but that Kentucky lawmakers are allowed to consider legislation on exceptions. And our next article, titled New Suit Alleges Neglect in Early 2022 Jail Death, by Billy Coben. A new federal lawsuit accuses Louisville Metro Corrections leadership and staff of failing to properly monitor a man who died after a suicide attempt at the jail in early 2022. Gary J.R. Weatherill, 41, was found December 30, 2021, on the floor of his cell 
with a sheet connected to a bed frame around his neck. And he died January 3, 2022, at the University of Louisville Hospital. Wetherill was one of 14 people to die in Metro Corrections custody from the start of 2021 through this past January. A situation advocates for incarcerated individuals and their families. Repeatedly describe, excuse me, a situation advocates for incarcerated individuals and their families repeatedly describe as a crisis. In comparison, seven people died in Louisville's jail from 2016 to 2020. In the new lawsuit, Adriana Adams from Wetherill, the late man's wife and administrator of his estate, names Metro Corrections Director Jerry Collins, former Director Dwayne Clark, Metro Government, a Metro Corrections officer, and several sergeants in charge of training jail officers as defendants. The suit was filed Tuesday in U.S. District Court for the Western District of Kentucky. Claims made in a lawsuit represent one side of a case. Major Daryl Goodlett, a Metro Correctional a Metro Corrections spokesman, said the department is, quote, not able to comment on pending litigation at this time. Weatherill was booked on December 27, 2021, on various charges, including failure to register as a sex offender. He was placed in a single cell on detox protocol and, quote, given special observation status, according to the lawsuit. That meant a corrections officer was to observe him every 15 minutes, as well as sign and mark the time on an observation sheet hanging outside of the cell, according to the lawsuit. Joshua Badgley, the corrections officer tasked with observing Weatherill that day, admitted to professional standards unit investigators who reviewed Weatherill's death that he made several observations that fell outside of the 15-minute window, with some checks not taking place until 18 minutes to 43 minutes later. Badgley discovered Weatherill on the floor at 3.10 p.m. after last checking on him 24 minutes earlier, according to the lawsuit and PSU investigation. Badgley also said he did not assign an inmate watcher to observe Wetherill in his cell, as he should have, when handling incarcerated people who may have a higher risk of self-harm or who are detoxing, per the lawsuit and PSU investigation. The PSU case touched on a problem at the center of some of the other jail deaths. A shortage of Metro Corrections officers has led to inconsistent supervision of people in their cells and staff burnout. The lawsuit cites September 2022 reporting from LEO Weekly on the Kentucky Department of Corrections finding Metro Corrections violated the state's jail standards in five of the deaths since November 2021, including by not properly supervising incarcerated individuals. Clark, who was the Metro Corrections Director from 2019 until his retirement in April of 2022, amid pressure over the string of jail deaths and, quote, other high-ranking LMDC staff 
did nothing to address the pattern of clear constitutional violations of the inmates housed at the jail, the new lawsuit says. It accuses the defendant of violating Wetherill's civil rights, showing negligence, and causing his wrongful death, quote-unquote. The facts alleged in this lawsuit make it abundantly clear that the tragic death of Mr. Wetherill could have and should have been avoided, says Noel Caldwell and Jay Oakley, the attorneys for Wetherill's wife. Corrections officers failed to adhere to Mr. Wetherill's special observation protocol, and their failure to observe him directly contributed and caused his death. The internal investigation conducted by the Louisville Department of Corrections Professional Standards Unit came to the same conclusion. If Mr. Wetherill had been properly observed, then this tragedy would not have occurred. The lawsuit, among other requests, is seeking an unspecified amount of damages and a jury trial. Then-Mayor Greg Fisher picked Collins, who was a jail commander in Clark County, in Clark County, Indiana, and previously worked in Louisville's jail, to succeed Clark in leading Metro Corrections. Fisher also had directed the jail's medical and mental health services provider, Wellpath, to reevaluate its practices and hired a Florida-based company to review Wellpath's clinical encounters with people held at the jail. Additionally, Fisher hired a former Boise, Idaho sheriff, Gary Rainey, to examine jail suicides and the jail's policies, procedures, practices, training, and equipment last excuse me, last fall. Rainey released the review that found myriad issues, including how staff safety practices are, quote, often absent in the jail. Collins has told Metro Council members that he and his staff have made improvements in recent months, and the director has said Louisville needs a new jail. The current building at South Liberty and 6th Streets, originally built to house Metropolitan Sewer District offices, was repurposed for the jail's use in 2000. The most recent jail death occurred January 9th, after officers found a 61-year-old man unconscious and in medical distress, according to Metro Corrections. An obituary for Wetherill said he, quote, loved his family very much and, quote, was always great with little kids. J.R. was a carpenter and electrician, a handyman who could fix just about anything, the obituary said. He will be sorely missed by everyone's life he had touched. Though J.R.'s death was sudden, it wasn't in vain because the donation of his kidneys saved the lives of two others. In addition to his wife, the obituary said Wetherill was survived by three stepchildren, six sisters, his mother, a, quote, special meemaw, and many nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, and cousins that he loved so dearly. And our next article, Raimondo Seeks to Rally U.S. Behind CHIP Program, by Josh Boak. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, on Thursday, called on the country to unite around $52 billion effort 
to restore the U.S. as the world leader in advanced computer chips, saying it will require training tens of thousands of workers. The research, innovation, and manufacturing sparked by this law will enable us to be the technological superpower, securing our economic and national security future for the next generation, Raimondo said in a speech at Georgetown University. The government sees the funding as a launching pad to create two major semiconductor clusters inside the U.S., featuring a network of factories, research laboratories, and other infrastructure. But fulfilling that vision will be a multi-year challenge that requires job training and figuring out scientific breakthroughs to lower the cost of producing advanced chips. There is a level of cooperation that is needed among the federal government, state governments, local officials, CEOs, universities, and school districts. The kind of joint effort that could be challenging in an era of divided politics. The Biden administration is hopeful it can surmount political hurdles as Democrats and Republicans alike back the, back the initiative. The president, excuse me, President Joe Biden signed the CHIPS, C-H-I-P-S, and Science Act into law last August on the promise that it would spur factory groundbreakings. It is also designed to ensure a steady supply of the chips needed for autos, appliances, electronics, toys, toothbrushes, and weapons systems. The U.S., despite being the birthplace of chips, has ceded ground to producers in South Korea and Taiwan, creating an economic and national security challenge if shipping lanes are blocked. Chips are integrated circuits that are embedded in a semiconductor, a material, notably silicon, that can manage the flow of electric current. The term chip and semiconductor are often used interchangeably. Starting next week, the application process will begin for semiconductor firms seeking to qualify for $39 billion in government backing to help fund their expansion. The administration expects the $39 billion for factories will generate 10 times that, at a minimum, in private sector investment. The potential benefits come from the spillover effects of computer chip production jobs that typically pay over $100,000, leading to additional economic activity and business formation. That has Raimondo saying that colleges and universities must triple the number of graduates in semiconductor-related fields. Otherwise, there will be a shortage of workers. This is math, people. This isn't a political agenda. Raimondo said in her speech. The new law also contains $11 billion to fund a research partnership between universities, companies, and national laboratories, all with the mission of increasing a chip's processing power and lowering the cost of semiconductors so that there are buyers in a global market. We have to bring down the cost, big time which means innovation, 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 
Raimondo told the Associated Press. And our next article, Severe Weather Hits Western U.S. by Robert Jablin. California and other parts of the West faced heavy snow and rain Friday from the latest winter storm to pound the U.S., while thousands of people in Michigan shivered through extended power outages wrought by one of the worst ice storms in decades. The National Weather Service warned of a cold and dangerous winter storm that would last through Saturday in California. Blizzard warnings were posted in the Sierra Nevada and Southern California mountain ranges, where as much as five feet of snow was expected. Interstate 5, the West Coast's major north-south highway, was shut down south of the Oregon border as snow fell on the floor of the Sacramento Valley and in a high mountain pass north of Los Angeles, where blizzard warnings were in effect. Smaller roads Smaller roads are closed. Excuse me, also closed. Smaller roads also closed. Forecasters warned of severe thunderstorms that could create water spouts off the Southern California coast. A blizzard warning was to go into effect in part of Nevada later in the day. Meanwhile, a storm that battered the plains and Midwest for days began to diminish. The Weather Service said, but winds could still cause blowing and drifting snow. And Portland, Oregon, continued to recover from snow that brought traffic to a standstill this week. The weather has closed major roads around the U.S., caused pileups, closed schools, and snarled air travel. Friday morning, nearly 300 flights were canceled, and over 900 were delayed according to FlightAware.com. That was down from more 2,000 canceled and 14,000 delayed flights on Thursday. All told, the storms have blacked out nearly 1 million homes and businesses coast-to-coast. Michigan was hardest hit after a storm coated branches, power lines, and utility poles with ice, putting more than 820,000 customers in the dark at one point. By Friday, that was down to under 700,000, most in the state's southeast, around Detroit. Some 3,000 power lines were toppled after being coated with ice as thick as three-quarters of an inch, and crews struggled to get power back by the end of Sunday, utilities said. Utilities across the country fear ice storms like we fear nothing else, said Trevor Lauer, president of DTE Electric. We've not had an ice storm in the last 50 years that has impacted our infrastructure like this. Temperatures were expected to remain far below normal, with lows below zero in the upper Midwest, before warming to near or above normal by the end of the weekend. Parts of Interstate 80 in California and Wyoming closed, including about a 70-mile stretch over the top of the Sierra Nevada linking California and Nevada. Ice is believed to have caused a pileup in the Massachusetts Turnpike late Thursday in Brimfield that involved about 15 vehicles, including tractor trailers, and resulted in injuries. 
a 14-vehicle crash on Interstate 89 in Vermont caused minor minor injuries. In Southern California, the latest storm began moving in Thursday, with rain and snow flurries. Flood watches and warnings were in effect through Saturday afternoon for some coastal regions and valleys, and the potential for rainfall causing flooding and debris flow in some areas burned by wildfires in recent years. Evacuation warnings also were issued in Ventura County. The storm has added to major precipitation from December and January, quote, atmospheric rivers, that improved California's drought outlook. But authorities who allocate water to farms, cities, and industries remain cautious because of, because of a recent history of abrupt changes in hydrologic conditions. The Weather Service said temperatures could drop far below normal in the region, posing a special risk to homeless people. Terry Stevens, who lives in a trailer with her son and his girlfriend in Palmdale, was temporarily placed in a hotel room northeast of Los Angeles after shivering through the night Wednesday. It was frigid, your bones ache, and you can't get warm, she told the Los Angeles Times. I had three blankets on me last night, and I was still freezing. Nothing helped. And our next article, War Anniversaries Noted Around the World, by Barry Hatton. World landmarks were lit up in the colors of Ukraine's national flag as people around, excuse me, as people across the globe threw their support behind the country Friday on the anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion. The Empire State Building, the Eiffel Tower, and Sydney Opera House gleamed in yellow and blue in solemn remembrance of the outbreak of the war on February 24, 2022. The conflict has affected economies worldwide, bringing shortages of energy, grain, and fertilizer, and the date drew people to peace rallies and other events in the Middle East, Asia, and Latin America, as well as Europe. Among the memorials, stunts, and ceremonies, a wrecked Russian tank was put on display in Berlin. A bloody cake with a skull on top of it was left in a Belgrade street. Ukraine's flag was held aloft amid tears in the sizzling Bangkok sun, and Japanese monks prayed for the dead. A rusting T-72 tank was placed outside the prominent Russian embassy building on the German capital's Unter den Linden Boulevard. The tank was struck in the Kiev region in the early stages of the war. It was taken to Berlin by a private group, which said that the Ukrainian Defense Ministry's Military History Museum loaned it. The whole world should see that there are many people in Germany who stand behind Ukraine. So that's why we're putting on Russians scrap that's why we're putting the Russian scrap tank in front of the door, said Wieland Giebel of the Berlin Story Group, one of the exhibit's organizers. In Serbia, whose government has maintained friendly relations with Russia, and has refused to join Western sanctions designed to punish Moscow for its invasion. Police moved in to stop a group of anti-war activists from reaching the Russian embassy on the capital, Belgrade. 
the activists wanted to hand over a demand for Russian President Vladimir Putin to be put on trial for genocide in Ukraine. They left a cake covered with red icing, representing blood, and with a skull on top of it, on the pavements, near the embassy. Near the embassy. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak stepped outside his office at Number 10 Downing Street, joining Ukraine's ambassador and some Ukrainian soldiers being trained in the United Kingdom for a minute's silence in commemoration of those killed in fighting. And this is all the time we have left for this section. This concludes readings for the first sections of the Courier-Journal for Saturday, February 25th. Stay tuned for the Metro section to follow immediately. Your reader has been Katie Wilkerson. Now to continue reading from the Courier-Journal for Saturday, February 25th, 2023, starting with the Metro section. Your reader is Katie Wilkerson. We will start with the obituaries. We read only the name, age, and location. If you would like further information on any of the obituaries, please call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire obituary for you. I will repeat that number at the end of the listings. Layman Avery, 82, Greensburg, Jeff Berkheiser, 68, Cadiz, Robin Ray Bishop Sr., 48, Lexington, Katherleen Brewer, 89, Hodgenville, Catherine Bryant, 99, Bardstown, Homer Bergen, 100, Louisville, Reverend John O. Crittenden, Jr., 75, Louisville, Janet Drury, 65, Lawrenceburg, Eddie W. Floyd, 80, Owensboro, Donna Franz, 78, Shepherdsville, Lola Trusty Gibson, called Pixie, 76, no location listed. Anita Devet Gibson, 57, Louisville. Linda Hatfield, 77, Louisville. Clifford Montez Helm, called Twiddle, 34, Stanford. Ralph Higgins, 92, Madison. Michelle Lynn Vaughn Leffler, 55, Louisville. C.R. Mears, 95, Greensburg. Brittany Moore, 30, Berea. Greta Stewart Noon, 86, Lanesville. Michael Dean O'Rourke, 72, Shelbyville. Pauline Giles Smith, 84, New Albany, Indiana. Xavier Smith Temple, 30, Phoenix. Gilbert Warren, 86, 
Campbellsville. If you would like further information about any of the listings today, call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire item to you. And our next article, titled Distilleries Visited Most in 2022 Were Not in Kentucky, by Ray Johnson. The Bluegrass State has more barrels of bourbon than people, according to Kentucky Tourism. But does it have the most visitors to its distilleries? A release from Business Wire said the country's most visited distilleries last year are in Tennessee. On-site traffic counters recorded more than 5 million visitors between the state's four Old Smoky Tennessee distillery locations last year, roughly double the visitors seen on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2022. The Holler, in Gatlinburg, had 2.3 million visitors. The Barrel House, in Gatlinburg, saw 1.1 million visitors. The Barn, in Pigeon Forge, saw 1.2 million visitors. Sixth and Peabody, in Nashville, saw over 700,000 visitors. The Old Smoky brand is known for its range of moonshine that comes in several unique flavors, like the seasonal shine nog, an eggnog-inspired holiday hooch, and fruity iterations like apple and pumpkin pie. It also makes flavors of whiskey that range from pear and elderberry to mango habanero and cookie dough. In comparison, Kentucky has 42 distilleries on the bourbon trail and topped out at more than 2 million visitors for the first time in history last year, shooting past its pre-pandemic record of 1.7 million stops by bourbon aficionados, marking a 38% increase from 2019. Attendance on the Bourbon Trail has increased by 370% in the past decade, according to the Kentucky Distillers Association. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail, created in 1999 by the Kentucky Distillers Association to give visitors an intimate, educational look behind the state's most historic distilleries, had a total attendance of nearly 1.4 million at the 18 participating distilleries last year. In 2012, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour was established to showcase smaller distilleries, the release said. Attendance at the 24 featured distilleries was 738,287 in 2022. Even though it saw fewer visitors than the Old Smoky, The record-setting year for Kentucky's Bourbon Trail was still a boon for the state, especially since distilleries were closed during the height of the pandemic in 2020, according to an Associated Press report. Producers who were unable to stay open during the coronavirus pandemic have opened doors again, helping the bourbon industry bounce back. The success of Kentucky's bourbon industry isn't slowing down anytime soon, and I am grateful to KDA the distillers, our tourism partners, and all the amazing Kentuckians who work hard to make this industry so special, Governor Andy Bashir said in the release. Research showed that bourbon tourists are young, 
and spend between $400 and $1,200 on their trip, travel in large groups, and stay longer than the average visitor to Kentucky, according to the release. More than 70% of Bourbon Trail visitors are from out of state, and at least half have an average household income of more than 100000 This is a home-run demographic for local communities, generating valuable revenue and tax dollars while boosting hospitality industry that's still recovering from the COVID pandemic, said Eric Gregory, president of the Kentucky Distillers Association. If the number of bourbon barrels is any indicator of how business is going, more than 11.4 million barrels are aging in warehouses across the state. Then production and tourists shouldn't slow down anytime soon. That's the highest number of aging barrels in distilling history, according to the release. Distillers produced over 2.6 million barrels in the past year, the fourth year in a row that production rose above the 2 million mark. And our next article, titled Humana Plans to End Some Offerings, by Lucas Albach. Humana, the massive Louisville-based health, excuse me, health insurance company, is set to begin phasing out commercial insurance offerings over the next two years. The company, which reported having around 10,000 employees who live in the region as of last year, announced the move Thursday morning, noting it remains committed to the long-term growth of Medicare Advantage and other Medicare offerings and government-funded programs. The exit from the employer group commercial medical products business, which includes fully insured, self-funded, and federal employee plans, will take place over the next 18 to 24 months, a release said. Company spokesperson Mark Taylor said the number of jobs that will be eliminated is not currently clear, as final decisions surrounding organizational changes, the development of new job opportunities, and the wind-down of the business are still underway. A focus on health plan offerings for government and specialty businesses should best position Humana for long-term growth and success, he said in an email. Commercial plans accounted for 4% of Humana's total premiums and services revenue in 2022, according to Securities and Exchange Commission filings, at about $3.7 billion. Humana president and CEO Bruce Broussard said the move will allow the company to focus resources on our greatest opportunities for growth and support members and customers. We are confident in Humana's continued success, and our commitment to improving the health of those we serve is unwavering, he said in a release. Humana is headquartered in downtown Louisville. The Fortune 500 company was founded by, excuse me, was founded in 1961 by Wendell Cherry and David Jones and offers insurance to more than 20 million people. The change will eventually impact Louisville Metro government employees, as the city's medical benefits plan is currently managed by Humana. Ernestine Booth-Henry, the Human Resources Director for Metro Government, informed city employees in an email Thursday of Humana's announcement and how the 18- to 24-month transition period 
will not have any impact on current city employee coverage through Humana or the upcoming 2023-2024 open enrollment period for Metro benefits. We will keep you fully informed as more details emerge from Humana about how they plan to go forward with the transition, Booth Henry wrote in an email obtained by the Courier-Journal. In the meantime, you do not need to take any action. Providing you with continuous and reliable health insurance benefits is a top priority for Metro Human Resources, and we will always do so with your best intent, excuse me, your best interests at heart. And our next article, Paoli Peaks Closes for Season After Struggling to Produce Snow by Anna Rocio alvarez Brenez. Some people are grateful for warm weather in the local forecast, but not everyone is thrilled. Paoli Peaks, a local ski resort in southern Indiana, had to end its 2022-2023 season Wednesday after struggling to make snow due to the higher temperatures and recent rain, a social media post said. The resort opened the season opened the season on December 24th, but had struggled to produce snow for its slopes. General Manager Chris Shadid said all pre-purchase tickets for skiing, snowboarding, tubing, or ski school lessons would be refunded. Mother Nature wasn't on our side this year, and while we worked hard to manage through the rain and warm weather, we no longer have the snow base needed to remain open, Shadid said. The report had to pause operations on December 29th due to weather, but was unable to reopen on February 4th. Last season, Paoli Peaks was also forced to suspend operations the day after Christmas due to a lack of cold air. Shadid thanked the Paoli Peaks team for producing snow as much as it could and thanked customers for understanding the circumstances. He said the resort will use the off time to prepare for the 2023-2024 season. We are just as disappointed as you that this season didn't have better weather in store, but we have no doubt we'll all be back soon, the statement said. We care deeply about this resort, and we'll be working hard in the off season to prepare for a better season ahead. Paoli Peaks is at 2798 West County, Bol- West County Road. 25 South in Paoli, Indiana. The resort is about an hour-long drive from Louisville. And our next article, titled Leave Our Territory, Stop Bombing Us, by John Leister and Hannah Arivrova and Samia Kuleb. Ukraine's leader pledged Friday to push for victory in 2023 as he and other Ukrainians marked the somber anniversary of the Russian invasion that upended the lives, their lives, and Europe's security. It was Ukraine's longest day, President Volodymyr Zelensky said. But the country's dogged resistance, a year on, has proved that even every tomorrow is worth fighting for. On a day of commemorations, reflection, and tears, The Ukrainian president's defiant tone captured the national mood of resilience in the face of Europe's biggest and deadliest war since World War II. Zelensky, who has himself become a symbol of Ukraine's refusal to bow to Moscow, said Ukrainians proved themselves to be invincible 
during a year of pain, sorrow, faith, and unity. We have been standing for exactly one year, Zelensky said. February 24th, 2022, he said, was the longest day of our lives, the hardest day of our modern history. We woke up early and haven't fallen asleep since. Ukrainians wept at memorials for their tens of thousands of dead, a toll growing inexorably as fighting rages in eastern Ukraine in particular. Although Friday marked the anniversary of the full-scale invasion, combat between Russian-backed forces and Ukrainian troops has raged in the country's east since 2014. New video from there, shot with a drone for the Associated Press, showed how the town of Marinka has been razed, along with others. The killing continued. Russian shelling killed another three civilians and wounded 19 others in the most recent 24-hour spell, Ukraine's presidential office said. Around the country, Ukrainians looked back at a year that changed their lives and at the clouded future. I can sum up the last year in three words, fear, love, hope, said Alexander Hironik a school director in Kharkiv, Ukraine's second-largest city. <clears throat> Lining up in the capital, Kiev, to buy anniversary commemorative postage stamps, Tatiana Klimkova described her heart as falling and hurting. Still, this day has become a symbol for me that we have survived for a whole year and will continue to live, she said. On this day, our children and grandchildren will remember how strong Ukrainians are, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Although China on Friday called for a ceasefire, peace was nowhere in sight. Ukraine previously rejected a pause in the fighting for fear it would allow Russia to regroup militarily after bruising battlefield setbacks. Zelensky gave qualified support to China's new pronouncements about the ceasefire and peace talks between Ukraine and Russia in a vaguely worded proposal released Friday. China has shown its thoughts. I believe that the fact that China started talking about Ukraine is not bad, the president said during a wide-ranging news conference. But the question is, what follows the words? The question is in the steps and where they will lead to. A 12-point paper issued by China's foreign ministry also urged an end to sanctions that aimed to squeeze Russia's economy. That suggestion also looked like a non-starter, given that Western nations are working to further tighten the sanctions noose, not loosen it. Both the UK and US imposed more sanctions Friday. Ukraine is readying another military push to roll back Russian forces with the help of weaponry that is poured in from the West. NATO member Poland said Friday that it had delivered four advanced Leopard 2A4 tanks, making it the first country to hand the German-made armor to Ukraine. The Prime Minister of Poland said on a visit to Kiev that more Leopards are coming. Poland's Defense Minister said contributions from other countries would help form Ukraine's first Leopard Battalion of 31 tanks. Ukraine is entering a new period with a new task 
to win. Ukrainian Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov said, It will not be easy, but we will manage, he added. There is rage and a desire to avenge the fallen. <clears throat> Air raid alarms didn't sound overnight in Kyiv, alleviating concerns that Russia might unleash another barrage of missiles to pile yet more sadness on Ukraine on the anniversary. Still, the government recommended that schools move classes online, and office employees were asked to work from home. And even as they rode Kyiv's subway to work, bought coffee, and got busy, the Ukrainians were unavoidably haunted by thoughts of loss and memories of when missiles struck, troops rolled across Ukraine's borders, and a refugee exodus began a year ago. Back then, there were fears the country might fall within weeks. Zelensky referred to those dark moments in a video address. We fiercely fought for every day, and we endured the second day, and then the third, he said, and we still know every tomorrow is worth fighting for. The anniversary was also poignant for the parents of children born exactly a year ago, as bombs began killing and maiming. It's a tragedy for the whole country, for every Ukrainian, said Alina Mustafai Faiva, who gave birth to a daughter, Yiva, that day. My family was lucky. We didn't lose anyone or anything, but many did, and we have to share this loss together, she said. In Ukraine, Zelensky was particularly busy, kicking off the day with an early morning tweet that promised, we know that 2023 will be the year of our victory. He followed that up with his video address, in which he also pledged not to abandon Ukrainians living under Russian occupation, vowing one way or another, we will liberate all lands. He also held the televised news conference, where he urged Moscow to change course, saying, please respect our right to live on our land, leave our territory, stop bombing us. Zelensky got emotional when he talked about how the war could end arguing that only if Russia halts its aggression can a diplomatic path be followed. Stop destroying all our infrastructure, energy, drinking water, he said. Stop bombing towns, villages, killing dogs and cats, simply animals, touching, torching forests. On Friday, country star Brad Paisley released a new song called Same Here, featuring Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaking proudly about his country and people. The West Virginia native wrote the song with Lee Thomas Miller, co-writer on Paisley hits The World and Perfect Storm, and Dawes frontman Taylor Goldsmith. It's a three-part narrative that reflects on universal similarities, despite distance and language. While it doesn't mention Ukraine specifically, the song ends with Paisley and Zelensky in conversation recorded during a video call. Zelensky talks about Ukrainians' desire for freedom, adding there is no distance between our two countries in such values. There's just no differences, Paisley told the Associated Press. You can put us in different places, with different flags and different languages, but we have so many similarities. Paisley is one of several celebrity ambassadors for Ukraine's United24 crowdfunding effort and has donated his time for other fundraising efforts to assist Ukrainians. And our next article 
Florida College Students' Protest Policies by Kayla Jimenez. <clears throat> Florida college students are livid with Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, accusing him of targeting the civil rights of LGBTQ students and people of color by pushing to, ba to ban diversity, equity, and inclusion, limiting discussion of racism and privilege in schools, and his threats to do more. A small number of protesters walked out of their college classes Thursday during a planned statewide protest of DeSantis and his policies. One man at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville carried a Keep Surveillance Out of Our Education sign and a pride flag. Others at Florida International University waved signs that read, Trans rights equals human rights. In a similar scene at the University of Florida, about 100 people on a campus of more than 55,000 students held signs advocating for transgender health care and said the state is restricting free thought and expression. The Florida College Democrats and Dream Defenders organized Thursday's Stand for Freedom movement and walk out to challenge DeSantis's education-related policies. They are calling on his administration to restore diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in colleges and universities, according to the Stand for Freedom pledge. We are Florida's students and citizens. It is our education that is being tarnished and our schools being discredited, the pledge says. This is our fight for freedom. Last month, DeSantis announced plans to dismantle diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in previous years across Florida campuses. His legislative proposal would ban colleges and universities from spending money, regardless of its source, on support for initiatives related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, critical race theory, or, quote, other discriminatory initiatives. <laughs> in response to a question about the protests, a DeSantis spokesperson referred to an earlier statement. In Florida, we will build off our higher education reforms by aligning core curriculum to the values of liberty and the Western tradition, eliminating politicized bureaucracies like DEI, increasing the amount of research dollars for programs that will feed key industries with talented Florida students, and empowering presidents and boards of trustees to recruit and hire new faculty, including by dedicating record resources for, for faculty salaries, DeSantis said on January 31st. Protesters at the University of Florida said DeSantis is abusing his political power by overreaching into the educational system, including K-12 schools, and dictating what can be taught in classrooms. Sabrina Brasino, a member University of Florida's excuse me, a member of University of Florida's College Democrats and Stand for Freedom Florida, said students want the want to accurately learn our history, and that includes history that he might not agree with. On the Florida State University campus, Ava Anderson said she doesn't agree with any of the policies DeSantis has introduced. Personally, I feel like we're going in, in, a, fa in a factious direction, the 21-year-old sociology and psychology major said. I'm Jewish, so it does scare me to see how he's criticizing people's identities. And in Sarasota, at New College of Florida, 
which has been a focus of DeSantis' efforts to create a more conservative education model. Professor Deborati Biswas said she fully supports the students. We value academic freedom at New College. The students are choosing what they want to learn, Biswas said. They are creating their own curriculum, and that brings with it growth and critical thinking. And this is all the time we have left for that article. This concludes excerpts from the Courier Journal for February 25th. Excuse me. Your reader has been Katie Wilkerson. Please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio Eye.